Hello and welcome to the Still Space Podcast. I'm your host, Executive Coach Mary Lee Gannon, where my guests and I share fun and simple strategies to manage yourself so that you can show up the way you want in work relationships in life and not default to past behaviors that leave you disappointed. The Still Space is where you learn to take an intentional moment to challenge habitual assumptions that hold you back with enlightened truths that boost your genius. We transform drama, resentment, doubt, unmet expectations, and self-sabotage to executive presence, self-control, deep sleep, healthy choices, and more connection with people who matter while it still matters. It's time. I invite you to subscribe to this podcast and get any of my free publications at my website, maryleegannon.com, where you can also learn more about working with me. First, I have something really special that I can't wait to share with you. Most of you know that I work by day as the CEO of a $31 million organization, and I coach a handful of clients in the evening. Now I have taken the tenets of mindful leadership and put that into a training program so that you can fast track your career leadership while also balancing that with a good night's sleep, healthy eating habits, and close relationships. I call this program Mindful Leader Satisfied Life. Not only will you have the training, you also get one-on-one coaching with me, not a group, one-on-one coaching with me so that we can unravel your personal assumptions that are holding you back. You will no longer be unnoticed, undervalued, and inadequate, feel judged, and that others think that there's something wrong with you and you start thinking there's something wrong with you too because you're getting passed over for promotions, new roles, no longer doing all the things you hear you should be doing. Sigh of relief, right? With only defeat and the fear that failure is in your DNA forever dogging you in the back of your mind. You'll no longer be disconnected from colleagues, friends, and family or following the shoulds that make you feel you're still behind the curve and might even lose everything altogether. No longer frustration about habits that show up in terms of snacking, disjointed relationships, vices, poor sleep. No longer making excuses while not actually getting any closer to high performance. So if you're interested in this program, all you have to do is go to my website, maryleegannon.com. Click on the link on the top that says Coach with Mary Lee. It explains all about the program. Fill out a few questions on the questionnaire so that I know a little bit more about you and I'll reach right out to you and we'll set up a time to talk and we'll get you started. No longer will you have to wake up and say, I missed an opportunity. I wish I had. Please remember that I can only take a few clients at a time and I already have a full book right now. So I'd like to make sure that you're on the list. Head over to maryleegannon.com. Click on Coaching with Mary Lee. Let's get started. I am very happy to be with you today for episode number 16 of the Still Space podcast. Managing your overreactions, assumptions, and comparisons at work and in life. Who has not looked at another person and compared them to ourselves, our child, our parent, our friends, our boss? Who hasn't compared another situation to ours, our family, our job, our home, our lifestyle, our love life, our friendships? 
This inner voice I call Comparison Harrison. He's part of your ego. Wave to him. Don't turn away. We need to bring him in closer to challenge what we can learn from him. I saw this very vividly when my third child was diagnosed with a developmental disability. I was heartbroken. My marriage was falling apart. I have this child who's beautiful, didn't ask to be born. I'm trying to keep my marriage together. And all of a sudden I have a child diagnosed with developmental disability, autism or pervasive developmental disorder. And my world fell apart. I couldn't go to a playground, to church, anywhere without looking at other children her age and comparing her to them, comparing my life to the Norman Rockwell portraits that were walking around, all these beautiful families. And I just was undone by it. And I really researched, studied, meditated, prayed until I found a better way. Because doing this constant comparison does nothing for you, does nothing for your family, does nothing for your team, for your peace, for your sleep, for your health. It is nothing but the treadmill to nowhere. You might feel resentful when someone else gets a promotion. Someone else has direct reports who compete to be on their team. Other people don't seem to work as hard as you, but they seem to get more promotions, happier, uh, better relationships. You may notice that someone else's kids behave better. Someone else's kids call them more often. Someone else is calm in the face of a crisis while you get easily upset and don't sleep well. Someone else is getting in shape while you're gaining weight. Someone else's spouse is crazy about them. Someone else has a spouse. And this comparison, Harrison, reminds you that life isn't fair. As if anyone ever promised us that life is fair. Working hard has always been your namesake. If you're an achiever, you are wear that like a signature strength. But you're realizing it isn't the only springboard to higher achievement. At a certain level, everyone works hard. Though it is certainly crucial, working hard is not your only signature strength. Not even your best strength. So don't lean on that as your platform. What if you could observe all of your frustrations and jealousies for the purpose of setting your own vision for yourself, not judging yourself against someone else? That would be freedom. You look at other leaders and wonder, why can't I be like them? They have better eye contact, better presence, better confidence. They dress and look the part. They are self-assured and put together. When they speak, people listen intensely without interrupting. They don't look away. Their leadership model is not yours. You need your own leadership model. You have the power of what I call observation nation. And this means you can observe for the purpose of observing, not for comparison. Observe others to learn, not compare. I had a client recently who was really upset because a colleague asked for a promotion and got it, and she didn't. And she was quite envious, but we learned together 
by talking it through that she could have asked for that promotion too. And then she did in another industry, in another company, and she got a a wonderful role and is thriving now once she could get past the resentment of having been passed over. You need not be right. You don't need to be right all the time. You just want to get it right. Observe other people so that you may practice observing yourself. It's easiest first to observe others. Observe them for their purpose of learning. Observe not to judge in jealousy. Let me say it again. Those with the greatest executive presence do not judge others or themselves. They observe. They admit when they're wrong. They don't point out when others are wrong. They never assassinate another person's character. They may question them, but they don't make it personal. They don't compare. They don't judge. You never hear them say, I'm so stupid or he's so stupid. You may hear them say, I wonder what she was thinking when she said that. That's what a mindful leader would say. Or sometimes I don't see things clearly, and I think I did that here. Let me open my perspective a little bit. Or help me understand. I'm confused. Those are two great phrases that you can use in any situation. Help me understand. I'm confused. Instead of, this is ridiculous. This doesn't make sense. Showing your vulnerability and saying that you're confused is much more open and welcomed. If you are listening to this right now, you are interested in learning how to lead better and be happier in the process, right? You don't want it to come at all costs, the cost of your peace, the cost of your health, the cost of your family relationships. You're tired of feeling exhausted and unfulfilled. Bravo to you for not having an accidental career. As long as you are leading, always be learning how to lead better and with grace. This is how you remain current, likable, valuable, and not obsolete. A self-aware leader is always leading, always learning, always growing, not risk-averse, not shrinking back, not playing small. Executive presence can indeed be developed. It is not something you learn by instruction, which is why it's not taught in school. It is the way you conduct yourself, your manner, which is underpinned by comfort with self. Comfort with self. It shows outwardly by your behavior, your leadership skills, relatability, compassion, emotions, and your ability to regulate both. But it starts internally with your comfort with self. Other leaders may talk about tactile things and behavior aspects of leadership, how to dress, body language, eye contact, how to stand and sit, what to say and when. But if you're not self-assured with confidence, hardwired to your core, this won't show up authentically. That's why the best thing you can do for yourself is invest in your own self-awareness and your self-regulation. Confidence and high self-esteem come naturally to you in this state by working on mastery of the three things. I talk about them all the time, mindful self-awareness number two. Number two, number one, mindful self-awareness. Number two, self-regulation. Number three, self-acceptance. Actually, your relatability overall will improve in every area of your life, your home relationships, your work relationships, your community relationships, when you have mastery of the three things. 
you wouldn't get into a boat without a nautical map, binoculars, or oars. And if you notice you are in a stuck situation, remind yourself metaphorically that I know about the still space. I'm going to step out of the emotion, have the agility to just set that aside for a moment and ground myself in a deep breath and understand that my imagination is playing tricks on me. I'm going to allow myself to be grounded in this still space and then move forward purposefully instead of accidentally or in a reactive mode. This is executive presence. Respected leaders don't get emotional, show resentment or pout. These are signs of a needy ego. They learned how to find the still space before it's too late. Leaders hire, promote, and position colleagues to advance based on their ability to do one thing more than any other. Adapt gracefully. If you can demonstrate how you are resilient, resourceful, tenacious, you are likely to achieve. You say you have grit. Everybody thinks they have grit. We all do. Grit alone is not enough. Use that grit to challenge the stuck story that plays in your head. I'm not a leader. Leadership stresses me. I don't know how to manage. I can't manage people. Every time I try, I fail. The way I grew up holds me back. Challenge that stuck story with a grit story that better serves you. You have always defined your story. You know your story. It's been playing in your head for a very long time. Part of it may include a stuck aspect. That stuck story can be replaced. You know, it's fiction. That's where we shed a different lens on the thought, right? We understand that thoughts lead to emotions, lead to actions. We are going to shed a different light on the thought behind that story. Nobody can say that stuck story is an edict on your future. You know that stuck story very well. It holds you back all the time. Now define a grit story, a grit story that's going to move you forward. You certainly don't want to share all the intimate details of your grit story with prospective hiring managers or colleagues, but defining your unique grit story builds your confidence for when you are asked to talk about yourself. A grit story demonstrates how you addressed a challenge, your strategic thinking ability, and your execution skills. Your grit story demonstrates to you and others your resilience and problem-solving skills. When people ask you on an interview to tell you about themselves, they're not really interested where you grew up, where you went to school. They want to know how you deal with life, how you can self-actuate, how you're a strategic executor, how when you come upon resilience, you know how to handle it. People have known my story. I'm at the age of 35. I was a stay-at-home mother of four children under seven years old, living what looked on the outside to be the country club life. But behind closed doors, I was in an unpalatable marriage. Every day, I used to weigh the merit of my children growing up with mom and dad together in dysfunction against the meaning of life with us separate. 
My biggest fear was that my girls would grow up and find themselves in a similar circumstance, or my son would replicate the same, and I would be responsible, of course. After all, it was okay for me, it was okay for mom, and when I noticed that a piece of my soul was dying in that marriage, and I was completely void of hope, I finally filed for divorce as a leap of faith. I never saw despair coming. I completely underestimated it. Yet the children managed all of the despair with grace. They made new friends at their new school. Their minds were open and hungry to grow. They handled not having a dad at events with innocent disappointment, with resolve. They treated poverty with humility, though they definitely felt different than the other children. We were living in absolute despair. When I filed for divorce, That was the end of any income that came my way, and I was a dependent spouse. I was a stay-at-home mother with four children. So now, all of a sudden, I have a child with a disability. I have three other children. They're all under seven years old, and I have to figure out how to make money because there was no other stream of income. I remember the day I took my two-year-old son with me to the gas company to plead for assistance and realized how grateful I was for assistance programs. I made a commitment right there looking into his sweet eyes as he played with his little action figure in the chair beside me. Public assistance was not going to be a way of life for us. It would be a bridge to freedom, not a boat circling the shore without oars, dependent on the weather to stay afloat. I was going to lead the charge. Being a child in a divorced family is difficult enough. Then to feel like a casualty of war in an ugly breakup is way more than anyone can imagine until you live it. I will tell you that today my children are warm, caring, thoughtful, successful, well-adjusted young adults. They survived this period in their lives and thrive today because they learned the most important skill of life very early on, how to cope and how to adapt. It amazes me how many people in the workforce don't have this skill or know how to develop it. It makes me sad to see how entitlement, assumptions, and expectations compromise careers, relationships, and lives. What I share with you is what I've learned by experience. These are not hypothetical theories, but strategies that I've learned as a C-suite leader throughout my career, strategies I've implemented, observed in my children and clients, and seen the benefit of over years with my executive coaching experience. If you are to thrive, you must acquire specific skills to cope with disappointment. Develop a vision that you believe in. Keep your childlike innocence alive. Have front sight focus to stay on track and influence from a core comfort with yourself. You can absolutely have your dream career and a dream life, but first, some things have to be released, realized, and accepted. That acceptance of self is crucial. Mastery of executive presence and the life fulfillment that you want includes a very important fact. We can't break the dreaded cycles we become accustomed to until we unravel the negative fiction stories we tell ourselves and replace them with the truth.
That is why you write a grit story. You are working to challenge the life messages that are laced with notions you drew from negative life experience, these assumptions you drew from things you experienced. You find the still space to unravel the assumptions from the truth so that you may start with a blank slate and rewrite the stories with only the truth. Remind yourself of that perspective every day. No assumptions. Only truth. Sounds good in theory until Reaction Jackson shows up and then it's game over. You know that feeling. The big, hairy, smelly, ugly, sticky, feely part of yourself that fears the ultimate worst will happen. You'll be judged, rejected, cast out, and end up alone. When he shows up, all bets are off. And Reaction Jackson steals your confidence, hides your truth, hijacks good sense, good reason. It reminds you of how you're going to feel badly about yourself. It's like a big danger sign jumping up in front of you all the time, right in front of your face. It moves to the right when you go right. It moves to the left when you go left. It's a fight-flight-freeze mode all the time. And in this primitive brain state, you go back to the familiar negative stories that are laced with assumptions, the things that hold you back. Back on the treadmill to nowhere and the dreaded cycle of overthinking, perfectionism, and paralysis continues. Be mindful of what you pay attention to. Mindfulness is paying attention to what you pay attention to without judgment. Be mindful of how you pay attention to what you pay attention to. Let your mind watch itself without inserting emotion or judgment into the observation. Your worth is not tied to achievement, but to your deeper values and your skill of mastery. Be curious and compassionate to yourself. More is never enough. There will always be more. You can never get enough of the things you don't need. You're already enough just as you are. You are building mastery. So that thing in the back of your head that says, I need to work later, I need to stay later to prove myself, scratch that. You are already proven. Life isn't for striving. Life is for living. It's for enjoying every moment. Leadership isn't a title. It's a mindset. It isn't the executive office. It's reverence from your team. It's not being in charge. It's creating a no-blame environment where failing early is accepted as part of the innovative process. Leadership is not a bonus. It's efficacy. I will give you lots of actionable advice on this podcast I'm here to help you find confidence, connection, calm. But if you don't first unravel and challenge the misconceptions, those assumptions that hold you back, it won't be helpful. It'll be a band-aid. We have to stand naked with our vulnerability and see what that ego keeps putting up in front of us so that we can challenge it. Put it aside, deal with the discomfort that's behind it, and know that we've still got this. And this process is difficult enough when your mind is calm and rational. Try to execute mindfully composed leadership in a crisis moment, and it can feel impossible. The crisis need not be of catastrophic proportion to raise your anxiety barometer to out of control. It could be as simple as one more expectation added on to your already busy day. Notice the triggers. When the fear response is activated, it takes 15 to 20 minutes to reset biologically. 
If this happens often enough and for long enough, your adrenals become fatigued and your immune system tanks. Long-term fear and stress can affect your metabolism, your memory, inflammation, blood pressure, blood sugar levels. It can also contribute to psychological disturbances such as depression, anxiety, loss of satisfaction, burnout. These are symptoms of your mind, body, and spirit calling for relief calling you to please find relief. Fear is a warning signal. You don't have to give attention to the doom and gloom assumption behind the fear. Just be with the feeling and get curious about what's there. Get curious about what it's trying to teach you. Reaction Jackson has two faces. You know, there are basically two types of fear. The in-the-moment fear, imminent danger, and anxiety fear. Fear of something that might happen, such as being rejected for not being good enough. The latter is more complicated to address. Anxiety is fear of what might happen, and that means you're scared about not being good enough, not being welcomed, being judged, and this is part of our survival. Whether a real threat or not, your body reacts as if you're being threatened. Anxiety fear produces stress from remembering the past or projecting something into the future. And most of the time, you can't control the fear stimulus. You can't control the trigger. So you need go-to practices to stop the pattern. No matter what the fear, the remedy is to stay in the moment. Deep breath, find the still space, not go back into the past, not fast forward into the future. Deep breath. Stay in the present moment. Understand it's your ego and protective self trying to put smoke screens up in front of you so that you don't get hurt. Being gentle with yourself and saying, uh, not today, I've got this. Smile at this false self, this protective self, this ego, what it's putting in front of you and shake your head at it and say, um, no, I've got this today. Not being afraid of it, but smiling at it. Most fears stem from a core belief of not being good enough, which we fear will ultimately lead to abandonment. Other ways that fear shows up are jealousy, a fear of not being lovable, perfectionism, a fear of failing, judging or feeling judged, a fear of inadequacy, separating yourself from others, a fear of being rejected, anxiety, the future is grim, being afraid, every possibility is a threat, sadness, no room for even a sliver of joy, anger, no one and no situation can please me, shame, the worst of all, shame, everyone is judging me, reinforcing that I am just plain bad. Deliberately change your response to any fear in the moment, you notice it in the still space, to eradicate it. This shift occurs by changing your behavior, your physical focus, your mental attention, the stories you tell yourself. Because again, stories lead to emotions, lead to actions. Choose, act, and focus differently. Those with executive presence have a cool head, soft face, and an ease about them, a strong back and a soft belly. They have go-to practices that keep them grounded. In a crucial moment, 
You don't have the opportunity to distract yourself with music, chatting, reading, headphones, a podcast. This is where the still space comes in handy. One of my clients was stuck in a pattern of negative interactions with a colleague, and she felt judged and minimized when they were together at the executive management table. So she tended not to speak up. Very common. She felt this person didn't like her, and nothing she could do would change this. So to avoid confrontation, she played small, kiss of death. She worried about his judgment so often that she thought her job might be in jeopardy. When we are stuck, we tend to let our thoughts take over, pushing good reason to the side, way into the background, while impending peril screams at full force, and this robs us of good leadership and good presence. She wanted better presence. Deep down, she needed to feel her power so that she could stand taller when he was around, so that she could step into her space, so that she could play big at who she was at her core. Confidence and power grow with action. This, there are numerous studies that support this. My client and I put together a plan whereby she met with him individually and told him she wanted a better working relationship with him and asked what that would look like. Now, typically when you do this with somebody who's angry, they don't know why they're angry. They don't know what to say. And his response was, as we anticipated, vague. His previous behavior had indicated that he thought her performance was underwhelming. They were peers. It was not his position to judge her. She didn't feel she needed to defend her contribution to the team. However, she came armed with statistics and relevant data she collected that showed that she brought value to the team. She didn't need to prove that to him, but she wanted to make the case of what her focus was and where her value was. She felt strongly prepared for the conversation, and she left feeling vindicated that she had demonstrated her unarguable results. Sometimes the reason people don't like you has nothing to do with you. And I will submit to you that that is most of the time. It has nothing to do with you. What you think or what you say or whatever you do, it's more about them. This is why interrupting the pattern of our thoughts with action builds confidence. After she had this meeting, she was at first disappointed because even though she made the case for her value, she sensed that he still disliked her, yet this was eye-opening. She had validated her value not only to him but to herself. She could now see that the problem was with him and not with her. It was personal to him and his flawed assumptions not grounded in fact. Now, if the person who doesn't like you is your boss, there's another way to deal with that. You want to stay off their radar screen. You want them to understand that you have your their back. So you're constantly reinforcing their language by saying, you said you had wanted this, so I just wanted to show you blah, 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 blah. This was the goal that you set forth at the last meeting. I wanted to report that we have accomplished blah, 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 blah. Expect no affirmation from that person. If you need anything from them, you are held captive by them. Stay off their radar screen. Let them know you have their back and continue to reinforce measurable key accomplishments that are in the areas that they say are important. With this client, what changed for her, however, was 
his behavior and hers. She is now speaking up more at meetings, feeling more herself, and he is less critical. Her presence is stronger and she feels worthy to be at the table and he can't argue that. She feels less intimidated by him. He still may not like her for whatever reason that is, but his respect for her grew in the process of her validating her work that was important to the team. The process of validating your value for yourself helps you release the need for approval of others. This client deserved to be where she is and enjoys contributing to the team. So in closing, I will tell you those assumptions, that overthinking, that comparing, it's all human. It's something that we do. It's in our primal brain. It's what we do to keep ourselves in check, to know where we are in our tribe, to know where our value is. But it doesn't serve us to perseverate on it. That is why you find the still space, take a deep breath, Smile on doubt when it shows up. Shake your head at it and say, not for me today. I've got this. Do not identify with the thoughts and stories that run over in your head, especially the ones that make you feel low and play small. They're fiction. Lace your thoughts with the truth, with nonfiction, things that are not arguable, your signature strengths, your value proposition. You are awesome every single day. And the more you refine this, my clients and I work very, very closely on this. The more you refine your signature strengths, measurable key accomplishments, your value proposition, you can speak this off the top of your head very easily at a meeting. You can describe your thought processes to your team. Let them know what goes on in your head because they can't read your mind. And there's more relatability, more likability there, more efficacy. Wishing you mindful efficacy today. I'm glad you were with me today. And I invite you to subscribe to this podcast and get any of my free publications at my website, maryleegannon.com, where you can also learn more about working with me.